50% of mental health disorders develop before the age of 14. We've long known that adolescence is a sensitive time of development, but recent studies have shown that many teens are struggling with their mental health at alarmingly high rates, and many in silence. The idea of a teen living through this alone is heartbreaking. Teens need to know that we are there for them, that we support them, and that we want the best for them. That even if we don't understand, we'll listen with an open heart. They need to know that even if we don't know the answers to all of their questions, we'll do our best to help them find them. And most importantly, teens need to know that we see their worth and want to make sure that they see it too. Hi, I'm Dr. Shana. I'm a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the Mental Wellness Practice. This is a place for you to learn about mental health, including key statistics, tips, and skills to help you cultivate mental well-being for yourself and for others. We all have mental health, and if we all felt empowered to improve our mental wellness, I truly believe the world would be a different place. The earlier we learn about the ways to practice mental wellness, the easier it is as the years go by. In this episode, we're talking about teen mental health. We start with exploring teen development, and then we move into tips for supporting teen mental wellness. If you appreciate what you hear, follow, like, leave a comment, or share this episode with a loved one. For more free educational content, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Shana. You can also check out the show notes for additional resources, including the self-love workbook for teens. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. And if you're struggling with a mental health problem or know someone who is, please seek professional help. If you have any questions, you're always welcome to contact me at drshana.com. Thanks for learning and growing with me. Let's talk a little bit about what development is and why we're going to look through a developmental lens in this episode. These are general trends that we've learned over time in terms of typical mental and physical changes and when they occur. Stepping back and looking through a developmental lens can help give us an idea of what to expect and how to support someone in that transition. I've noticed that sometimes when we think about developmental phases, our minds tend to go quickly to the seemingly unpleasant parts of that phase. You know, for the teen years, you often hear, oh goodness, the angst, the moodiness, the rudeness. But here in the mental wellness practice, I encourage you to expand that perspective, to look at what's going on underneath that. Because especially if we overlook what's going on underneath, that can actually cause some more of those unpleasant experiences. Now, remember, these are trends. A developmental approach gives us a framework of what to look out for and how to help, but it doesn't ever mean that a teen is going to show every single sign that we're going to touch on. And remember that it can occur in a broader range than we may think. I have to admit, That thought about the broader range did not deeply resonate with me until I was teaching human sexuality just a few years ago. I mean, I knew that I had learned about adolescence so many times, whether it was 
learning through my own development, learning about what they teach you in school when you're growing up, and then through from an anthropological lens, a counseling lens, and it didn't click to me until I was teaching this in practice. It's just, it's incredible how sometimes it takes long, well, at least for me, sometimes it takes long for things to actually click. So if you're in that space with me, give yourself some grace. So, you know, the thing is, when it comes to adolescence, we associate a lot of that with puberty, and we're going to explore that a little bit. But the truth is puberty can begin much earlier than teen years. So that overcorrelation can be detrimental because as those changes begin, say as early as seven, eight, the world may be still be seeing and treating that individual as a child while they're technically going through a transition that we usually associate with teenage years. And then there's the other end of the spectrum those going through those changes a little bit later on the age range, they may struggle with seeing others change before them, noticing that many others are changing before them, and then feeling behind in that can cause the, an own element of angst by itself. So from a developmental lens, what we really want to do is look for the signs, not the years, in order to catch that change. Now let's take a closer look at three key aspects of teenage development that affect their mental health, hormonal changes, identity, and independence. Number one, hormonal changes. I'm starting here because how can I not? Again, we often associate, perhaps sometimes overly associate the teen years with puberty is a big transition that happens in that time. So it makes sense, but it isn't all of what happens in that time. This is a common method of seeing things through a physical lens first. And for some people, it just stops there. How does the body change? What experiences are physically forming? And, you know, I don't obviously shocker. I'm sure you're shocked from a mental health perspective. I think it's detrimental to us that we end things sometimes at that physical lens and we have to see some of the more mental aspects in terms of emotional well-being, cognitive well-being, and social well-being. But yes, there's a lot of mood swings due to these hormonal changes. So if we know teens are going through a lot in terms of their emotional angst, uh, intensity, lability, all of this then what we can do is give them opportunities to safely express all of that, help them with communication, maybe even offer creative outlets for them to express in ways in which they may not have the words to express what they're feeling. And sometimes these outlets for expression may not be you. And I think that if you're listening to this episode, this means you want to help a teen in your life or you're looking forward to helping a teen in your life. The idea that you might not be the person that's the right fit for your teen or the teen you're thinking about to go talk to, that can be a little bit of a hit to your ego. And I understand that. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, that teen doesn't care about you or doesn't value or respect or even love you, but just it's a part of this phase. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but know that in terms of finding an outlet for teenage emotional expansion and experience in this time, 
sometimes finding another safe human being who feels a little bit more neutral, that can be helpful. And it doesn't mean you have to be isolated from that. There can be more of a team approach in which, yes, you might then be informed and you can help in the ways that is not just developmentally appropriate, but also appropriate for whatever role you play in that teen's life, coach, parent, sibling, what have you. So it doesn't have to be an individual approach, does not have to be you, and a team approach can be really helpful. I think a lot of times when we imagine teen years, a lot of folks, yes, we think about the mood stuff, but we also think about how much teens are sleeping in and sleeping late. Hormonal changes actually affect teenage sleeping patterns. Now, I don't want to normalize this to the extent that is, yeah, let your teen stay up super late and encourage them like, okay, your, your body is doing this. So just like go with it because sleep is still critical for healthy development. And as we've been exploring a lot in other episodes in the mental wellness practice, you know, that sleep is also developmental side is really key for mental well-being. So ways we can support that is while we recognize that sleep patterns may be off, is still supporting sleep hygiene, right? So keeping television or any device source um, out of the bedroom. And I know when I say that sometimes, I know I can't see your face, but I know that at least half of your faces are like, okay, that's not next tip. That's not plausible because it's so common for us. But see what you can do about that. If you can't take a television out of the room, then can you decide to turn it off at a certain time? If it doesn't feel conducive to never take a cell phone or a tablet or a laptop into the bedroom, then can you have a place that you put it away by the end of the night? Can you put the phone in a different room even? I've tried that. It doesn't work the best for me, but you know, I, I, I know that people live by that and it really helps. Um, and then at the very least, a wind down time that you are encouraging teens to step away from their devices to give their body the rhythm and space to settle down for bed. And we'll come back to this a little bit later, but none of this will likely happen if you're just telling a teen to do it. Even if you're like, hey, did you know that the sleep patterns that you're experiencing are going to cause trouble in your sleep, but you do need sleep for healthy development. So therefore, I'm going to take your device out of your room at this time. Likely not going to work from a lecture approach and if you are not practicing what you are preaching. Hormonal changes often cause a surge in exploration of sexuality and interest in relationships. I'm not going to go on a tangent telling you about what type of sex education a teen needs to have. I could really go on a tangent about that though. But the point I really want to make about this in this moment based on supporting teen mental health is that an area in which an any individual but a teen is uninformed means that they're going to be less adept and less healthy in that area. Again, I would expand that for any individual, but especially teens. I notice that a lot of times our unwillingness to talk to teens about sex means we're unwilling to talk to teens about their bodies, which means that there are 
experiences that they're having both mentally and physically that they're enduring and having to face and may not be spoken to about it other than this whole condescending like oh there's your teen mood swing go ahead go go to the room slam your door all these you know really quintessential things but that lack of conversation means that we're not offering them information on what's happening in their bodies and i think a lot of times we're not offering them information on what is happening in their minds so in the teenage years, there is an expansion in being able to think long-term. However, they're often still impulsive. So it's just this or that. So when it comes to making decisions in terms of relationships, whether that's a communicative decision or something more physical, like a sexual connection, an intimate connection, there's still impulsivity there. So active conversations are really helpful to have in terms of allowing teen support of thinking things through. That way there's the basis of that information in the moments, hopefully, that can help in terms of impulsive decisions, whether that's in relationships or beyond relationships. Also, if we know that teens are going to be more impulsive, then can we encourage healthy challenges? Can we find spaces that we are asking them to lean into their critical thinking and healthy risk-taking instead so that need is met and explored and they can develop their self-esteem in terms of making in-the-moment decisions through critical thinking and through the ability to take a beat, think things out, rather than being impulsive. Number two. Teens are trying to understand who they are. They want to find themselves and where they belong. Sometimes this goes hand in hand, right? A teen who loves volleyball may find that most of their friends are on a volleyball team. Well, when you pair it with the need for independence, sometimes this means a little bit of distance and separation. It might seem counterintuitive. Teens are stepping away from their family systems or their friend circles that they may have had since kindergarten. And sometimes these transitions can be challenging, not just for the teen, but for their loved ones. Also, wanting to belong opens the door for a ton of comparison. So it's important that we know that this type of comparison, not only common in humans, but exacerbated in the teen years, is natural. I think one of the most common approaches is to simply tell a teen or a person, just don't compare. Don't do it. It's as simple as that. Don't even let your mind go there. But it's a bit reductive, right? Our minds are programmed to do that. And this heightens in adolescence. So like, cool, tell me something that I shouldn't do that I can't help myself from doing and then give me no other resources. I, the angst is making a lot of sense. Instead, what I encourage teens to do when I'm working in counseling, and honestly, anyone who is struggling with comparisons, is to normalize the fact that that's what our brains do, and it's heightened in teen years. So we want to catch our comparisons instead of just trying to pretend like they're not occurring. When we catch them, that gives us an opportunity to then do something different with them, to put them aside, to counter them, to reframe. But if we're just trying to not have them, then there is this natural tendency that's coming up that we're just trying to spend our energy pushing down. 
and it's counterintuitive, but that's really unhelpful. We also want to give teens a safe space to explore their individuality. This can look like an opportunity for them to explore the interests that they may be surfacing. And if you're lucky, maybe they'll even come to you to explore that. Maybe it's even a shared interest that you have and you can give them some insight. But I wouldn't expect that across the board because in this developmental phase, it is likely that they'll want to individuate themselves from other sources of support. So again, whether you're a parent listening in or someone who I presume is older trying to help out, many times there will be a little bit of what we see as a rebellion, but that's just a push away from you in order, they, in order for them to develop their personal sense of self. And remember, we want them to technically be able to develop their own sense of self. Number three, teens are vying for independence. They want to be able to make their own choices. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the cognitive development that they're exploring in this phase offers a framework for them to do that. For the first time, they may be able to have an expansive thought process that includes long-term goals and long-term planning at large. They have the ability to reflect on what they do and don't like, and then to make decisions about what they do want now and in the future. Yeah, they can be quite impulsive and hormones may not always be the best help there, but they want to be able to separate themselves. So we want to be able to foster this and respect this because at the end of the day, we do want them to become healthy adults, right? Let's lean into their sense of responsibility. Now, I'm not sure I'd expect any teen to love doing chores. I sure didn't. But maybe you can lean into something that they're interested in also. So say, for example, a teen who's interested in fashion or style may want to help reorganize the closet. A teen who's interested in architecture may want to have input on the remodel of the kitchen. And, you know, there is the, I think, really common, I don't know if this is a stereotype, tendency, I'm not really sure what to call it, but I've seen it happen in pretty much every family when the teen becomes the IT of the family as well. So whatever their interests are, and they're showing, not just showing interest in that in terms of finding out who they are, but in terms of giving them the safe space to explore their individuality, can we lean in those opportunities to give them responsibilities and to make them not even give them responsibilities to just cultivate their sense of responsibility because that comes right back into their self-esteem and their overall view of themselves. So now that we've had the opportunity to look at a wider developmental perspective of what's happening in teen years and a little bit of nods towards what we can do to help, let's lean into some specific tips if you're trying to support a teen's mental health. First and foremost, self-check. Ask yourself, how do you value mental health? How do you see mental illness or wellness? How do you support your own mental well-being? What challenges do you have or have you had related to mental health? And where do you stand or how can you stand in the way of someone else's mental health, especially this team? It might be a little hard for you to go through these questions, and I understand that. But know that we're not looking for perfection here. 
what it is, is that we don't want to be hypocritical. If you're making backhanded comments about people being crazy or that only weak people need counseling or, you know, making condescending statements about mood swings or impulsivity, then, you know, when you hear a teen is in trouble, you suddenly panic and flip the script. And all of a sudden you're desperately trying to make space for their feelings and find a provider and encourage them to safely explore who they are it may not go over as easily as you would like because what you're really having to do and my and in my experience working with teens they're not able to really say well it's because you say this it's it's more of like stuff that gets planted in their minds from what we're saying around them and those are causing hurdles that are built before even a problem can become surfaced that doesn't really make sense a problem may surface Anyway, you get what I'm saying. So we have to be able to self-check and see how we view mental health. Hopefully you have a view that is empowering around mental well-being. And that means that you're also willing to check your emotions, be accountable for your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, apologize, go to therapy, have hard conversations with other people, not just hard conversations with your teen. And if they know you're walking the walk, then they're more likely to see you as approachable. Related to that, we need to have active conversations that normalize mental wellness, including stress and coping. We want to make it safe to check in. I see this happen so many times in family systems. Well-meaning parents often don't talk to their kids and then only talk to their kids when there's a problem. And I noticed that this pops up in other systems as well. Like that happens, you know, friends, especially, you know, not talking about things that really matter, but then a problem surfaces and no one knows how to speak work systems, right? It, it happens a lot. I think we can be avoidant around things we don't feel comfortable with. And again, there's rampant mental health stigma. That means we're not really comfortable discussing our feelings. So if we have active conversations about mental health, then it makes it easier for a team to explore mental health. So a team approach is great too. Again, going back to what I said earlier, if you are in specifically a parent role, but also let's say you are a coach that a team really admires and they don't want to let you down. So they may not come to you. It's okay if that person that they speak to is not you as much as you want to be. We want to make sure they're having active conversations with healthy, responsible other individuals around mental health too. Sometimes there are support groups for teens, which I'm a big fan of because then there's more of the teen approach. A teen is more likely to felt, feel understood by a peer than of someone who's older, even if they love them and respect them. Another thing about the teen approach, team approach, the teen approach, the teen team approach. <laughs> I think about, you know, if a teen is feeling physically unwell, say they have a stomach ache and it's going on for, you know, 24 hours and we know if we're not sure what to do, is this something that's bigger than just something simple? We got to take them into the doctor. Many times that would be the approach. There wouldn't be a, like, I, oh, I'm failing as a parent, teacher, et cetera, because this child is going through this. We usually don't even think about that. 
But when it comes to mental health and relational concerns, many times we still, okay, well, I can't bring someone else in. And that could not be further from the truth. That team approach with our teens, getting better with my words as we go along here, that can be a really wonderful way to introduce the role of a safe teen counselor. Another way that we can explore and support teen mental health is by introducing the basics of health at large, which we all need, by the way, but getting them in teen years can be critical for mental well-being. A safe, stable environment, sleep, hydration, nutrition, movement, connection with loved ones and people in general, friends, family, etc., and these two I add in from a mental health perspective. You likely have heard all of the others before in separate realms, but especially in our day and age, time in real life that is tech free. So conversations with loved ones that devices are put away, spending time on, I don't know, a sports field somewhere or in some sort of after school club that it's device free and it's connecting with other people. Also separate from other people, all teens. And again, I think everyone, but I'm specifically talking about teens here need a space to reflect or an outlet to explore their experiences, thoughts, feelings, to process their relationships. Now, in terms of the basics of health, ideally the family should be involved in this. This goes right back to what I was saying is we can't be hypocrites, right? So if you're telling your teen to do all these things, think about a situation in which you recognize that a teen has shown concerns with mental health. Maybe they were really courageous and came to you and told them about the struggles they're having. And then you listen to this episode or you Google something and you're like, all right, you got to sleep this much. You got to eat this. You have to move this time. You have to put your phone away. And all of a sudden these become commandments. And worst of all, maybe they're not just commandments. You are also not living your life that way. That is going to be the biggest obstacle. So if you want to support a teen's mental health, you have to be involved in your mental well-being. Practice what you preach, model that healthy behavior so they can pick up on it. Ideally, this is happening well before the teen years, so they're already doing it and it's already helping them in teen years, but we don't often understand that those are basics for all of our mental health, especially the mental aspect of it. So I get it. You might be coming across this now, but you know what? While sooner than later is ideal, better late than never is really important. When you have open, courageous conversations often, and it's normalized to just even speak to one another and connect, it makes these conversations more manageable when you're facing a problem. It can reduce the awkwardness of having to approach you with a challenging topic if you've already had these conversations before or similar conversations. Before coming to you, the teen may anticipate your response. So if they don't have that framework to know where does this person stand on this and are they going to judge me? Are they going to criticize me? Are they going to shame and blame me? They may be less likely to actually come to you. So if we establish a common, easy, open, loving, non-judgmental as much as we can, I know that's more of the role of the counselor, but if you can do it too in your role, that would be ideal. 
if we can establish all of that with our teens before they have a mental health problem, then they're more likely to come to us and we can help them when they're having a mental health problem. Here in the mental wellness practice, I always like for you to leave with something that is tangible, practical, manageable, something you can do to integrate what we've discussed into your life. And we've talked about a lot of different opportunities today and tips. And I wanna add one more on top of that. So if you haven't already, I'm sure that listening to this episode probably caused you to think a little bit about what you were like as a teen. But go ahead and give yourself extra space to be able to do that. What was that phase of life like for you? Can you remember the challenges that you faced in the transition from childhood to adulthood? Give yourself a moment to reconnect with that piece of you. That piece of you, which you always carry with you, by the way. If you are creating a comfortable nurturing space for that piece of you, let that part of you come forward, then you're less likely to be reactive when you're working with a teen supporting their mental health, especially if you relate to the concern that the teen is having, and especially if that teen is related to you as well. So keep in mind that we want to be able to reconnect with our own teen, especially if we kind of just pushed past the concerns we had then. Think about who you were at that time, what worked for you, what didn't work for you. That's not to say that this is going to be exactly what helps or applies to the teen we're considering, but it'll help you develop a more empathic response to this, that it's not just, okay, we're focusing solely on the teen. We're focusing on the community. We're focusing on how you cultivate mental health so you can model that behavior for the teen, how you remember what it was like to go through that transition, instead of just scoffing it off as another developmental change, an eye roll, another door slam, instead meeting the teens where they are. So if you want to do that, you have to go back and think about your inner teen. I hope that in those teen years, you were able to access self-love, care, and mental wellness. But especially if you weren't, here's an opportunity for you to think about what that inner teen needed and how you can get that teen teen's need met today. Today you tuned in because you were curious about how to support teenage mental health. And you've already done such a big part by just listening. So thank you for playing your part. I hope that you found this episode helpful. And if so, don't forget to follow, like, leave a comment, or share this episode with a loved one. For more free educational content, you can connect with me on Instagram at Dr. Shana. You can also check out the show notes for additional resources, including the self-love workbook for teens. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and if you or someone you care about is struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. If you have any questions, you're always welcome to reach out to me at drshana.com. Thanks for learning and growing with me.